0: Welcome to episode 10 of Sludge, an American healthcare story, the podcast about the broken healthcare system in the United States. And one of the reasons it's so broken is the bias in medicine that exists everywhere. I'm Caitlin Durante, and I announced this last week, but as soon as my story is over, which is, fingers crossed, soon, I plan to release episodes in which I talk to others about their experiences with healthcare in the U.S., And based on the stories I've gathered so far, the common theme is that if you are a woman, a person of color, gay, lesbian, bi, trans, non-binary, queer in any way, if you're fat, if you're a senior or a child, if you suffer from mental illness, if you have an invisible disability, if you're low income, or any combination of those, plus some things I'm probably forgetting, you are much more likely to be the recipient of bias and discrimination when seeking healthcare. Now, considering the society that we live in and the presence of all of these biases against marginalized people, this probably doesn't come as a surprise to anyone who is aware of these biases. But when you remember that healthcare professionals and providers swear an oath to take care of people and save people's lives, And these biases often stop them from doing that to the best of their ability. That is extremely concerning and dangerous because people's lives are at stake. I don't have any updates this week about my situation at the time of this recording. It's still a little over two weeks until my surgery and there's nothing new to report. But I want to keep releasing episodes when I can. So today, I would like to share a couple stories That people have shared with me that will start to demonstrate these pervasive biases. This first story comes from Sam, who messaged me on Instagram. She says, I had my first gallbladder attack two years ago, and I honestly thought I was dying. I will say that I am in Canada and have the privilege of free healthcare. Yet, where I am in Vancouver, British Columbia, it has been nothing short of a bureaucratic nightmare. My first trip to the ER, I waited hours in 10 out of 10 pain. I was puking. I was crying. When I saw the doctor, I was thankfully given a shot of, and now I don't know exactly how to pronounce this. I think it's, uh, which is, um, I looked it up, a hydromorphone used to treat severe pain. So I was thankfully given a shot of, uh, and I had an emergency ultrasound I was sent with a referral to get another proper ultrasound later that week. One small problem. I don't have a GP or a family doctor. Side note from Caitlin, I'm pretty sure this would be the equivalent of a PCP or primary care physician in the US. I don't have a GP slash family doctor. And I'm in Vancouver where the wait lists for doctors are months to years. So I got my ultrasound and I asked the tech who I follow up with. And he said, your family doctor. And I was like, but I don't have one. And he shrugged. At the ER, I was given a referral to a surgeon who ghosted me. I called her office repeatedly and never got a call back. I gave up and moved on and had more attacks that I self-treated at home with a prescription for the that I got from the doctor. That lasted a year. Then I got another gallbladder attack. I ended up in the ER, and this time, the doctor, a different one, makes me wait a grand total of six hours with no painkillers. None. Zero. Then she discharged me with a referral to another surgeon. Yay. I call this surgeon, and the receptionist tells me that he actually doesn't do gallbladder surgery. Okay. I have a few more attacks and just tough it out at home. Finally, a few months ago... I have another huge attack and end up in the ER again. I wait eight hours in the ER, three of which were waiting for the doctor. The rest are waiting for test results. This is all with no painkillers. Till the very end when I'm being discharged, the doctor gave me a shot of a strong painkiller, another shot for an anti-inflammatory, and a referral to a surgeon, one that actually does the surgery. I have a date for November 13th. I am a woman, I am fat, and I am indigenous. I believe that one or all three of those things has impacted the treatment I received, especially in regards to accessing pain meds. Besides my first visit, I was given either nothing or extremely low doses of painkillers, and it was always after hours of being in the worst pain of my life. I hope your surgery goes well and you heal quickly. I'm sorry, the American system is so fucked. Thank you for making this podcast. Although it's so frustrating to hear, it has been comforting to know someone else is going through the same thing. So that was Sam's story. Sam, your surgery is scheduled for about a month after mine. So we're basically surgery sisters in addition to being sludge sisters. And I hope you have a very smooth operation and recovery. I wish you all the very best with everything. And I thank you again so much for sharing your story with me and allowing me to share it even further with all the listeners. So thank you again. So, with Sam's story, we have an example of someone dealing with a lot of pain and a lot of hoops to jump through in her effort to get access to medical care. But this is not in the US where you'd expect it's Canada. But even though the healthcare system there isn't as messed up as it is in the US, guess what? The patriarchy is everywhere. And I think she's very correct in assuming that her experience has happened the way that it has and that she wasn't administered adequate pain medication because she's a fat, indigenous woman. Fat people, non-white people, and women are routinely not taken as seriously or not believed at all when it comes to things like pain, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, and it has everything to do with sexism, racism, fat phobia, and other biases that a lot of medical professionals are harboring. I'm not saying all, hashtag not all doctors, but it happens far too often. And again, because people's lives are at stake, this becomes a very serious issue. The stakes are literally life and death here, and these biases need to be erased or else people will continue to be mistreated, misdiagnosed, suffering from pain, or worse, like dying. If you don't believe me, studies have been done about these biases, articles and books have been written about it. You can Google all this stuff. I'm doing this podcast about it. So hopefully soon enough awareness is raised that things will start to change. Sludge podcast? Who knows? I think it's going to change the world. Here's hoping. Okay, so now let me share another story. This one is from Gabby, who emailed me. And by the way, I always ask permission to share people's stories and to use their name. If you are listening and you have a story that you would like to share, you can email me at sludgestorypodcast at gmail.com. That's probably the best way to reach me with a story And if you give me permission to share it on the podcast, uh, I can use your first name or just your initials, or I can keep you completely anonymous. I leave that up to you. Those are options you have if you uh, would like to share a story of yours. Um, But back to Gabby's message. She says, I wanted to share my own sludge pouch story. My sludge woes started when I was around 12 or 13, I'm 27 now. I started getting sick constantly after eating. I'd either throw up or get so nauseated that I'd have to go lie down. My parents had just gotten divorced and we'd made a big move to another state, so everyone just thought it was stress. They assumed it would get better as things settled. It didn't. It just got worse. The local pediatrician was a middle-aged man. He listened to me and my mom explain what was happening. He asked very few questions. He didn't run any tests. Then he accused me of making myself throw up. Now, please note, he didn't act concerned about me possibly having an eating disorder or concerned about my mental health or general well-being No, he accused me of making myself vomit like I was wasting his precious time by having the gall to come see him. When I told him no, I wasn't making myself sick on purpose, he didn't seem to believe me. I forget exactly what was said after, but we basically left without my issue resolved. It stayed unresolved for months after, with me still regularly getting sick. A few months after that, my mom finally decided to take me to a different doctor. This one was much nicer than the last one, but he still didn't run any tests. He diagnosed me with a nervous stomach and prescribed me some pills. The pills didn't do anything. I eventually learned to just live with it. For over 10 years, it became normal to throw up, get nauseous, or dry heave after meals. My mother-in-law told me that it was probably my gallbladder, for a couple of years, she practically begged me to go to the doctor, but I toughed it out. I didn't want to deal with any more doctors. Finally, though, it got bad enough that I went to her PCP. This woman doctor listened to me and then immediately ordered tests. Within a couple weeks, I got an ultrasound and another test done that showed that my gallbladder was functioning at 22%. For context, I was told that they wouldn't operate unless I was at 25% or lower. At age 23, my gallbladder was only functioning at 22%. A couple weeks later, I was able to get surgery, and side note, I have employer-paid health insurance, but I am still paying it off. If those male doctors had done their job, taken me seriously, and ran some tests, I might not have been able to have surgery, but I would have been able to learn how to live with it better, what to eat so as to not get sick constantly, etc., My experience made me not trust doctors and even start second-guessing myself. To this day, I still find myself wondering if I really feel sick or if I'm just quote faking it. Thank you for starting this podcast and shedding light on an ordeal that unfortunately many people go through and have been conditioned to think is normal. I hope your surgery and recovery goes smoothly and that you can finally put this nightmare behind you. Thank you, Gabby, for sharing your story. Uh, I'm so glad that you eventually did get a resolution. I am so appalled by how that first doctor especially treated you, not only for not believing you, but he thought you had an eating disorder. And as you said, he didn't care. He acted like having an eating disorder was not a medical issue and not something he needed to treat. Like, holy shit, I am just so furious on your behalf. And that to me says a lot of things. The ever-present stigma of mental illness and eating disorders that exists even within the medical community, because a lot of healthcare professionals seem to forget that the brain is an organ in your body and that it can get sick just like any other part of your body— It says that because you were a young preteen or early teen girl, he assumed that you were lying or hysterical or making yourself throw up. And because he doesn't seem to believe that eating disorders are a medical issue, he probably thought you were just doing it for attention or something ludicrous like that. I don't want to speculate too much, but it is an undeniable truth that if For example, a 30 year old straight white man went to the doctor because he was throwing up after every meal. Generally speaking, he would be taken far more seriously than someone who does not fit that demographic. So, thank you again to both Sam and Gabby for sharing your stories. They are both gallbladder, AKA sludge pouch related stories. Rest assured that not every story I will include on future episodes of this podcast will be all about gallbladders. I have a whole array of medical issues that people will be sharing and talking about. I just chose to include these ones because my sludge pouch gallbladder story uh, is still in the works. But again, I will be talking to so many different people about so many different medical issues and healthcare nightmare stories that extend far beyond the gallbladder. But I did feel that those two stories serve as a nice transition into what the focus will become of Sludge Podcast, which is again continuing to demonstrate and expose the bias that exists in medicine, which is in some cases ruining people's lives and in worst cases killing people. So stay tuned for more episodes of Sludge Podcast. There are no shortage of these stories. So keep listening. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sludge Podcast for updates about new episodes. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Feel free to rate and review the podcast, all that good stuff. Feel free to tell people you know about it, anyone who's going through a similar medical nightmare story. And also I would love for healthcare professionals and providers to listen to this because they are probably the people who need to hear it most, especially if they're the ones who are harboring these biases so they can start to look inward, see if they are discriminating against people while they're practicing medicine and uh, put an end to those biases that they have. So tell everyone about this show. Again, if you have a story that you would like to share, please email it to sludgestorypodcast at gmail.com. And uh, if you give me permission to share it on the podcast, uh, let me know. If you want, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Caitlin Durante. Uh, Yeah, my surgery is about two weeks away. I'm just kind of mentally preparing for that. Um, Don't be surprised if there is a little gap between episodes in the next few weeks just while I recover from surgery. But once I'm back to normal, that's when I'm going to start Dumping out all these stories, so get ready, everybody! And here's to a sludge free Halloween! And you know what? The scariest thing out there this Halloween season is the state of the American healthcare system. Ooh!